the beginning is near. Now watch men disappear. Hey, welcome to episode 12 of the Colton Culture Podcast. I'm Justin Pearson. I'm Luke Hinshaw. And this episode has uh, our friend Dave Scott Stone, who's been in a ton of interesting bands. Um, and I have had the pleasure to work with him in The Locust. He was briefly in The Locust for a tour, which was a very inspirational point for, or a huge inspirational point for The Locust, as I think we kind of shifted some of the ways we write our songs. Um, it, it was... Uh, yeah, so anyhow, he's, he was in LCD Sound System, Melvin's, Get Hustle. Um, he worked with Jello and some sort of like kind of Dead Kennedys incarnation thing. What else? Um, Unwound, did I say that? Uh, anyhow, he's got an impressive resume. So it was cool to have him on the on the podcast. And, and I mean, he's just a rad dude and all the stuff he does. And like, I'm pretty intrigued by his modular synth stuff that he does and um, <clears throat> so and we yeah, got yeah. to work with him. What? And we got to work yeah, with him. Yeah, which so. is awesome. Um, the stuff he writes is sick. So yeah, we're doing some stuff with with Planet B and him, which is great. Um, the podcast starts off kind of strange because I think like it was just it seemed so natural. He was just he kind of came in and sat down and we just started started rapping about whatever. Like I don't even know what you know like where we were headed and you know then you pushed record and yeah and then it was like it, it happens a lot. Like, so, you know, the listeners know that it happens a lot. It's hard for us to just say, okay, start. Yeah. Like, everybody sits down where you're sitting, and we just kind of... Or stop. Hey, stop we, saying that. <laughs> yeah. That one's a hard one. Yeah. That one's even harder than starting. But it's like, we how do we know, like, when some, when they sit down, they're comfortable, they say something interesting, I hit record regardless. Yeah. So there was no real intro with Dave. Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of just dive into like a half part of, you know, like midway part of a of a piece of the conversation. But I guess you guys will figure it out once it gets started. Yeah. But um, And we st when we stopped, we kept talking, so I had to hit record again. <laughs> yeah. So it's like part two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it w it's I think it's the longest uh, podcast we've done so far, too, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. But there's a lot to cover. I mean, even like if you think about like um, – his interest in, in, in like music and music theory and stuff, or like his, you know, like the stuff he's done in, in the past, or I don't know. I mean, there's so many directions you could go with that guy. And, and we, we did end up going in most of them. And, and it's funny because as the conversation kept going, I kept thinking like, I got to go back to this one thing that I wanted to talk about that we, yeah. that we, you know, detoured away from. And so, it does get really techie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might be hard to understand, but you'll get it once you hear it. everyone hears his catalog. So. Sure. Yeah, and or you just Google whatever the hell he's saying, like the yeah flex capacitor. Sometimes know. I don't even know what he's saying, but when he <laughs> explains it, you're I'm like, I got it. You mean like the kind of synths or like the yeah or the techniques uh -huh. and you know just the process of everything. Yeah, yeah. But overall, he's just such an awesome dude and 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 seems so positive and and you know kind and it's it's rad. So um. Anyhow, I guess that's yep. That's where we're headed with this. So, and uh, get ready. And sorry for the abrupt start, but uh, I think you guys will dig it once it starts up. So here goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could see you know him wanting to take 
dead Kennedy's material and just like taking it to the, another level. Yeah. And, yeah. but there was never any conflict. Yeah. I think it was just more like a was timing J- was issue. Was Jello in those rehearsals? Were you in, were you in part of that or no? Yeah. Yeah. I was playing bass. Bass. Okay. It was because Dale was on maternity leave. Uh-huh. Um, and then it was just Jello singing. Jello singing. Yeah. And, Buzz and I, I think that was the time period because I was in Melbourne's in two different cycles. I was a guitar player in 2000 through 2000, beginning of 2002. And then I came back when they needed the bass player. Uh, it, it was very clear to me that um, Big Business were joining them. Uh-huh. But they were still living up in Seattle, uh, Washington. And, it, you know, it takes time to, for people to, like, change their life around and move to a big city. Uh-huh. So it was going to take probably at least a year, and it wound up taking about two years. So I went in and played bass with them, because we were doing more... We were doing Phantomas Melvin's big band. Oh, yeah. Again, um, we were doing some Melvin's touring, and mostly, like, the art end of the Melvin's sort of stuff, like doing live scores for Cameron Jamie. Oh, yeah. And... Some more of the heavier, dronier sort of stuff, like lot, you know, making things up while watching a film. Uh-huh. And then we and were you, and some... you weren't playing modular synth stuff then. No, with, with well, them. no, I I start because I got to work in Melvin's Phantomas big band. Uh-huh. As you know, Mike Patton is a completely like, hey, we're all treated the same here. Uh-huh. You know, really amazing dude, uh, and very very fair, and uh, you know, allowed me to start building a modular synth system. And without, because I was interested in that, because I was always into guitar effects pedals. And when I was playing in this old band, Slug, which was a long time ago from LA, you know, I I was playing, it was two bass players, and I wanted a very godded silo sort of driving bass that had lots of effects on it. And that's why I loved what you were doing, like, because your use of effects, it was more like like playing stuff. And, uh, And then... My friend Damien Romero, who was a harsh noise guy, who was the other bass player, because I would do tricks with my, I would use uh, Y cables on some effect, distortion boxes and turn them into like oscillators, getting them to feedback on oh, themselves. Uh-huh. And then Damien once said to me, and this was for like overdubs when we were doing our record, Damien said like, oh, you basically have a modular synth system. I'm, I was like, wait a second. You mean like those patch bay things? Yeah. He's like, yeah, but you're just using effects pedals. And it started getting me into the headspace of looking into modular synthesizers. Because I always like synths, but I like physical instruments like guitars and basses and just something like really to freak out with. And um, so, you know, but, you you know, it's, it's in the late 90s. You know, you're working a driver job. Modular synths were like, like a couple, you know, maybe like. 500 bucks which was that's a lot of money you know what i mean like this is late 90s 500 bucks oh my god i'll have to save months for that (laughs) and so i wasn't in really any space to do that um but then when i started you know being in bands that i would come home with some money from doing things or you know this is oh yeah because after slug i played in get hustle and I started putting all my effects pedals on a music stand with an AB box. Yeah. So instead of like... But you play guitar. And, and, yeah, I, yeah, I was playing guitar yeah. in that because, you know, I, I always like guitar stuff. And I'm, I actually consider guitar my main instrument. And, um, but, you know, playing with like Mac and Maximilian and Valentine, we were, we, we 
were just really into non-popular music. Yeah. And we're trying to find, you know, it was a bunch of people trying to do very individual things that maybe, you know, we weren't normally around. The way Mac played piano yeah. mixed with uh, Maximilian's drums. You know, it's like, okay, you know, I, I don't want to do like Antioch Air guitar playing. Or, yeah. You know, so I got had I got my Jaguar. Which was kind of a weird time because I think everyone expected it to be Antioch Air. Oh, yeah. I think people were very, I think, you know, we were lucky that in San Diego, we had way better shows in San Diego off of the, you know, Antioch sort of yeah. like community that they built over the years. And then we were just like a really, really like our influences were, well, obviously when you take away the whole Nick Cave, PJ Harvey thing that Mac and Valentine sort of had, you know, Mac would, got really into Thelonious Monk uh -huh. uh, and would practice different, uh, he would practice all day. He was so dedicated to it. It was so amazing. Um, you know, I was into, you know, I was into sort of like things like Sonny Shark and like, you know, scronky guitar uh -huh. sort of stuff. Uh, I mean, we came together with like sonically things like the birthday party, even though nothing we did sounded like them. Uh -huh. And we had this powerhouse drummer that just really ripped it up. And then Andy Ward played with, or Mackie, Buzz's wife, yeah. was the first bass player. And then, you know, we wanted to get on the road, tour. She had a, her own life as, an, as a graphic designer. Uh -huh. And she couldn't, like, jump in a the van for six weeks getting like you know if we're lucky a hundred bucks a show yeah. it just it just wasn't but she was great like the stuff that she did and then, you know she actually brought me into it then andy ward played with us and he'd played but wasn't wasn't aaron in it in it for a minute aaron, oh okay, okay yeah before that they had this thing terrible arrow was that it was that no what? i thought i thought he was in get hustle for like a minute no they were him and um uh myra power yeah 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 they were they had left the band that they were doing with those. Uh, it was Aaron, Myra, uh, Mackie, Maximilian. Uh, Aaron and Myra moved to New York and uh -huh. they bailed out on yeah. it. I thought it was called Taro Bolero. That was one of the bands that he had. But yeah, oh, maybe. That... No, no. It was it was something else. And they only played one show and uh -huh. I saw it. And, you know, Aaron was like crooning and yeah. like he was very, he had changed from like a freak out thing to actually really wanting to learn how to sing. Yeah. And uh, but they bailed and then they got I I started playing with them huh. and then we couldn't find a singer and uh, Valentine wound up playing with us yeah what started singing with us and we're just like yeah let's go for it yeah and that was it huh. and that was it and um, but yeah all my effects pedals were on a music stand that was the, my approach to it it's like I get loops going or like. We were so pretentious, but, you know, pretentious <laughs> in a way of, like, we were trying to push envelopes rather than why be normal, you know? And, you know, because I didn't... God, there's so many long stories. Uh -huh. You know, you, this is going to be edited, of course, but, like... Wait, no, um, no. Wait, yeah. hell no. <laughs> um, should I hit record, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you're doing with the pedals, playing guitar, I mean, what was your technique on change like changing the effects on i mean it's so you don't have to like reach on the ground yeah well there was that but also like i could like strum strum, strum a chord or do like a voicing like a dissident vo voicing i had an a b box on the floor so right. i could i really loved guitar into amp tones like i had a super reverb jaguar at first and then i bought a jazz master well that i put together from parts wow. because jazz like jazz masters were like yeah. four hundred dollars <laughs> <laughs> you know like 
60s Jazzmaster. Oh my God, $400. That's crazy. And um, so I built a Jaguar Jazzmaster later on from parts. Um, not uh, And so I was working in an amp company. I used to work for Soldano. And I got some deal so I could buy effects pedals from the through the companies they work with like electro harmonics for free so i had this oh. deluxe memory man that still is like one of my favorite delays it's the it was yeah. the reissue ones i think they sound better than the 80s ones and better there's like a like for 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 one time the middle period is actually <laughs> to me the best sounding ones it's uh, time to like work on it yeah in 10 years or whatever i think Right, where they push it, they lowered the noise floor. They kind of it. I don't know if they they must have changed chips or something, but it is gorgeous sounding. And I started using that as an instrument. So I started. Yeah, you know, first I had a Memory Man, and so I could play a really clean, piercing, like Jaguar Super Reverb guitar tone. And then I could press the A B box, send it up into the pedal that was on a music stand so I didn't have to like hunch over and while I'm holding the cord I could bend it like you know and you know or add the vibrato to it and then I got uh what else then I got uh you know this is before now there's so many cool guitar effects pedals you know but you know back then Z-Vex was like the cool new effects pedal and I spent two hundred dollars or something on this thing called a sequa which was a sequencer like tone thing mm-hmm. and uh bob bruno he was the only other guy that was really into pedals and then i got like a micro synth so i started building things up off of that so then i got you know there's the uh there's there's the green line six loopers yeah and i would start making loops on that oh the other thing pitch shifter delay which is like an even tied h3000 in a box or does that sort of let the um that the rainbow machine earthquaker does yeah. oh yeah yeah so pitch we were just talking delay. about that yeah. yeah 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 um but so i had that and i could Can create a loop earthquaker what? again <laughs> we're trying to get sponsors <laughs> oh they're the best people in they the world. are like i'm I actually know. shooting a video for them for the swiss thing huh. vice cooler let's yeah yeah we can yeah, cut this uh. part out where it's like but actually i hung out with my crane the other day i went to his studio uh-huh. and uh I would have assumed because you did you and Joey did videos for them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, with you. Oh, that is so crazy! Yeah, That's yeah, right, yeah. right. At your house. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That is so so wild. Um, my brain, you know. That's cool. I Mine, used to smoke yeah. crops. <laughs> I guess I'm never getting elected president now. But I mean, it's been. 15 years since I touched that stuff. But no, when I saw the uh, interstellar oh, the, yeah. uh, thing, I thought, oh, they must have a bunch of earthquakers. No, we did like a, we did a thing at um, NAM two years ago for them. And like, they are awesome. Yeah. I, I love Party them. of helicopters. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which is crazy too, because I didn't put two and two together until like, they're like, you, you know them. And I was like, no, I don't think I do. And then like, yeah, party of helicopters. Like, oh shit. Like I played so many shows with them back in the day. But, um, the, the data corruptor they modeled after the Schumann wow. PLL, which I needed so bad, and mine was, that thing is falling apart. Ow, yeah. Which is another crazy piece of gear, because I bought that for, for 500 bucks like a, a long time ago, and, yeah. and I was like, I remember like being in New York and be like, fuck, it's 500 bucks, and I had to borrow band money, band fund, and I was like, dude, that's you're borrowing so much of our band fund, and I'm like, trust me, I need this thing, you know, and like, 
now I could sell it for 3000 I guess. That was an early conversation because I was a pedal obsessive. Like, people that had interesting guitar effects pedals, I remember, like, being so envious because I knew about that pedal. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I was really seeking out a 16-second delay, um, the 81 version, the looper one. Uh-huh. Because I really like looper pedals that you can actually put punk, sort of punch holes in. I could do that with the pitch PS3. You get a loop, and then if you cut the delay time, it actually gets things choppy and sort of glitches them out. It's like making little edits in them. Yeah, and you can huh. do the 16-second delay. But, you know, also things like microsynths, the sounds that the, um, the PLL pedal did, all that sort of... I never got those Line 6 purple boxes that you used. Uh-huh. And you still use those? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, two, I used two of them into each other. Oh, okay. Oh, rad. Because yeah. I started hearing like some of the sounds and, and other everywhere, like on car commercials and shit. I'm like, damn it. Hmm. And I and it, back then, like when we were touring a lot, the Locust, I, we, Bobby and I were always breaking them. And um, and he was using the, the delay one too. And and so we we I bought a backup one. And I remember just having it on my pedal board because I was like, this one's... Because, you know, there's only four options. So like sometimes like only two of them would work or like... Yeah. So I had two and I was like running one into the other and I was like oh this is like another beast right here you know like no one no one's like stupid enough to double up on them you know like like yeah. Mick Barr how he runs through like three uh, metal zone pedals and you're just yeah, like there's yeah. a fucked up it's sound. game staging it's all sort of like ones you know with the synth pedals it's like you're filtering uh synth and all like because I had the uh uh that core guitar synthesizer x911 that's uh-huh. modeled in that Oh line, yeah, the Line Six one, the per the your, your the pedal uh-huh. you use actually tracks a lot better. So I was thinking about getting that, but at that point, you know, after the sort of pedal thing, I started getting the synths. I could, yeah. you know, after Melvin's and uh, working Ma- Melvin's Phantomos big band, uh, I was so you know, it's like wow, I actually can like get the things that I've wanted to get into. Yeah. And, you know, at this point, early 2000s, I'm, you know, I came back from an Unwound tour. The world had totally changed because it was post 9-11. Oh, yeah. So, wait, you you were like, were you on any Unwound records or you just played live with them? I played live with them and then Justin edited together this record of our tour of all, like, the best parts of our set. Well, it's, it's, it's pretty much our set, but from different places. Uh-huh. And it's called Live Leaves, Live Live Leaves, because we were doing Leaves that Turn Inside You, uh-huh. and we were supposed to play in the Middle East with Arabon Radar on 9/11. Whoa! Yeah, which is always like that's always like, obviously the show got canceled yeah. and all, but it was like with Thrones, Mecha Normal, but you know Arabon Radar at yeah. the Middle East yeah. on 9/11. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the Middle East is a venue in in, in yes, Boston. Yeah, yes, not the Middle East. Not but, the Middle yeah. East. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the world had changed and like, and I was living above my friend's garage for 200 bucks a month. Uh-huh. I didn't have a car, but I started buying like modular synth pieces. Yeah. And but you were also playing it unwound. Well, unwound was over and that money, it was, it, I gotta say it's, it's doing Melvin's Phantomos big band work and working with Jello that allowed me to have a good chunk of change to reinvest in the music sure. stuff. Because my needs weren't really like, you know, beyond making music sure, at all. Which, sure. you know, I mean, a lot I don't of know us, if that was a great life plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you learn how to live 
below the poverty line. Oh yeah, and figure out. But um, uh, I mean, for me, I remember when you when I when I was like, holy shit, Dave's in Unwound. Like, I mean, I guess like to me, Unwound seemed like at the time like it was so like it, like when Gravity put out that Unwound seven, I was like, what? You're putting it like it was almost like they were like putting out a Nirvana record or something. So I kind of felt like shit. Dave's with in like playing in that band. Like that seems in, insane to me, you know. Mm-hmm. But and, and that was rad. But let, I would love to talk more about your thing with Jello because that's kind of crazy too. Like, was that just because of your affiliation with the Melvins that you started working with him? Yeah. And did it go beyond that project? Was it like another Jello thing? Uh, Buzz Young Kevin. That incarnation of the Melvins, Buzz, he'd been doing the band for a long time. He asked me to start playing with them on a boat back from Alcatraz uh, uh, after uh, January 1st, 2000. I'd gone to see them play at the Great American Music Hall because they were doing some sort of big 2000 celebration and all. Uh And I didn't even have, I I was doing Get Hustle. And we were about to get, we just did this record for 5RC. Uh, we just recorded with Tim Green. Yeah. The one uh, with the giraffe on the cover? Yeah, yeah. Right? Earth yeah. Odyssey. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I did not see it coming, but Buzz was like, hey, uh, would you like to go do a tour with us? I was Like said, on base or? In, no, no, he uh, was, uh, I, I kept on thinking, you mean like Get Hustle? Like, I'm sure Get Hustle would love to go on yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah. And Buzz was. Uh, and then he was like, no, no, pl- I, wa- I, I want to do something different. I want to mix things up. It's always been Dale, him, Buzz, and whoever, whatever bass, bass playing player, they were yeah. playing at the time. And they just done the trilogy records, and Buzz just wanted to mix things up. He knew I, he, I didn't play like Buzz. I could play like, well, actually, I can't play like Buzz, but I could have, I could do rhythm guitar if Buzz wanted the solo. Sure. But Buzz gave me free reign to do whatever I wanted uh-huh. to do. He wanted extra layer of noise because I was also really in the harsh noise scene, contact mics, yeah, uh, tabletop electronics, feedback mixers, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And so Buzz wanted extra layer of noise in the Melvins. And I mean, sometimes I would do Melvins riffs and then Buzz would solo over it because it would make sense and all. But I kind of could do whatever I wanted to. And he was practices went well i didn't think i could do it and because i didn't feel like i i didn't have the confidence to do it but we practiced for six weeks and then we'd melvin's because get, get hustle was also putting a record around the same time melvin's and get hustle were going to tour together um and so i was gonna go do a four weeks with melvin's and then Get Hustle was going to join us for the second four weeks. And we were going to open for, I was going to play in Get Hustle. And then I was going to play with Melvin's. I'll get to the Jello story in a second. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, everyone else in Get Hustle wanted to move to Portland. And, you know, it kind of like, I went on tour with Melvin's. And when I came home, they weren't in Los Angeles anymore. Whoa. No, it wasn't like that. Oh. Valentine called me and said, hey, listen, you know, we want, we're moving to Portland. Uh, and we're going to do the band, you know, you should, you know, I'm glad you're playing with the Melvins. Keep doing that. Uh-huh. You know, we want to try something else. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's what's, you know, young bands, you know, we're mm. all, you know, I, I, I was in, they were in their mid to early mid twenties. I was in my mid to late twenties. So there was a bit of an age difference between us all. And that's just what happens in bands, mm. you know, and then they moved up to Portland 
and became more keyboard based and they got way better. <laughs> when <laughs> Mark, became awesome. right, Mark joined. Yeah, right yeah. After, yeah. Get Hustle without, like, it, got, it turned into an incredible band. Yeah. You know, I love that, the layer Get Hustle stuff. But, um, so, yeah, I kept on playing with them for a while and then Buzz, and then when I went to go play with Unwound, Buzz wanted to do, Buzz loved that Jello Bee offer and went up against, uh, PMRC uh-huh. or what is Tipper yeah. Gore's yeah. thing, uh-huh. and Buzz really loved that about Jello, uh-huh. and he had to go through that. And he loved the Dead Kennedys. Ultimately, he loves the Dead Kennedys' music. I mean, they're one of the best punk rock bands ever, e- musically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. like they, it's like they played. You know, you put them up against the Sex Pistols or or the Misfits or whatever, and it's like they're fucking way better players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So wait. So Melvin's went through PMRC stuff. No, they didn't. Oh, he just liked. He, he just appreciated. He, he it. you know saw what Jello went through, mm-hmm. and also the Dead Kennedys getting back together again mm-hmm. uh, without Jello. Mm-hmm. And you know, Buzz was like, he you know he likes Jello. I mean, yeah. they lived in San Francisco for a while. They've known each other for a long time. And um, so th- when I was playing with Unwound, I disappeared into the Northwest for an adventure up there. Um, they did a record with Jello, then they started touring it. They played a bunch of shows together, and like because he did the No Means No one, like Jello did. Yeah, like yeah. He would just he's, join bands. He's done collaborations, and, yeah. but Jello actually writes songs. He can play gu- rudimentary guitar uh-huh. and like write music, and mm. he did that from what my understanding with a lot of D- DK stuff. Mm. And um, so they collaborated. They wrote this record. Uh, Kevin wasn't playing with them anymore, and they wanted to tour it. So when I was playing bass, I was doing uh, class fluorides bass lines with mm. crazy yeah, like yeah. Do, 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 yeah, do, yeah, do. yeah. Again, I yeah. didn't think I had the confidence to figure it out. Yeah. Um, Which is funny, like to not harp on the or not to like focus on the dead Kennedy thing, but but there was a point where he was putting his new band Guantanamo School of. Yeah, 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 and and so I remember Jose Palafox from from Swing Kids. They they oh, had wow. they wanted him to play, and he was just like, "Fuck, this stuff's harder than I thought." Yeah, like yeah. we just grew up thinking like, "Oh, it's punk rock," you know. It's like and he was like, "This is," and that guy's a pretty ripping drummer, and he was just like, "Dude, it's really complicated, like dr- drum wise," you know. And yeah, I, yeah, it's yeah. like, huh? And so then I started thinking about him. Like everything's pretty top notch. But well, so I go think on. I love like San Francisco bands. There's sort of like a musicianship. Like there's like you listen to. A lot of things on alternative tentacles, which I haven't really listened to in years. Yeah. Uh, I'm into like house and techno now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I say I, I get a little bit of delight saying that because it's so ridiculous. Yeah. But I, I think there's like that's where my ears hear sure. with music. Well, and, that makes sense, too, because we can jump to that point. But even when you started working with LCD Sound System, you know, it's yeah, just, yeah. like there's such a vast mix of, of stuff going from, you know, Get Hustle to to that you I know, know. but it, but so like i would love to well, hear about we could t- you know yeah. everybody all of us here have who would have thought that like you know you're doing something you, well you've played again in this lifetime you and i have to be in a band together at some point <laughs> we were what do you well, mean like no, that, well, was, that was okay. your that was locust yeah. and stuff like that we I, we have to figure out a project okay all. but you know and, what you you were a huge influence on the locust what yeah oh stop no that. i mean it not to, because I, I still want to keep talking about the Jello yeah, yeah. thing. But when, when, so the Locust were asked to play this festival, and and it was like right when we kind of started playing, like getting more, like a little bit more, you know, recognition or whatever. And oh, and, yeah. the, and the festival was like you have to play for forty five minutes, and we're like fuck that, like <laughs> you know, like forty five minutes is too long. Like we don't even want to play that long. And 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 I remember like us kind of just like 
I don't even know how we like internalized it, but we were like, well, we had 45 minutes worth of material, but we we're just like, no, we're not going to make, we're not going to bring back those old shitty songs. Like everyone wanted to hear like the crap from like the GSL records or whatever. Yeah. And so we were like, no, 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 let's just get Dave in our band and just make our set a lot longer <laughs> and like have like, you know, like your the thunder sheet and like weird interludes. Cause the a thing that we were struggling with was like playing live and, and having everybody come and heckle us and we're like this is fucking lame because we want to play music and not like have to just talk shit back to like people and so the the whole thing was like how do we you know redefine uh this uh, well performing you know and it was like okay well let's bridge every song together and have this thing and so it was crazy to yeah so the next thing we put out was safety second body last which has like huge soundscape pieces you know yeah 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 which you kind of like steered us in that direction I oh think. i i i don't know about that i mean everyone had and i you know it's like okay when i first saw the locust because uh, you see different transitions and all like you know i'm going to see unwound and godded silo carp bikini kill kill rock stars sort of stuff and i find out about the san diego scene i i i didn't i wasn't hip to things like unbroken but i was hip to antioch clickatat heroin uh, bands from that sort of time, which here. kind of were part of the unwound, like hip, hip kind of like LA thing, like Unbroken and, and and stuff like that was like part of like straight edge hardcore, which was yeah. a different world. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, it mixed in San Diego, but outside of San Diego, it was like not. Well, yeah, yeah. And I remember there was definitely this sort of thing where, you know, I saw because I saw Swing Kids because that was all sort of like the new blood of San Diego, yeah. and then the Locust came up. I remember going to see it's like I, going it's like wow these guys are okay because uh, God's Hello, uh Unwound is very tuneful and then Ulysses Ulysses comes around and it's a total freak out uh-huh. San Diego then you know Antioch Arrow is just an explosion and then you see Locust and it's like oh my god these guys are really heavy they're really like tough guys like I because early the five piece oh, Locust, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really thought you guys were like like tough guys uh-huh. you know yeah. like it was kind of like scary and scary in a sure. weird way like you know and doing a record with Man as a Bastard kind of has that well yeah I mean I knew Joey and stuff like that because he from uh, uh, from booking the library yeah. and but yeah you got like and also my background with hardcore too is hardcore late you know mid to late 80s when i was a kid um it was the jocks that would like beat up oh yeah pe- totally. guys like hardcore was not like uh, like an arty you know yeah. like fun inclusive yeah. stuff it was more like the you know the guys you know like black flag i didn't get into black flag until after big black you know because <laughs> yeah. there's guys with the black flag t-shirt with the mohawks and the football helmets uh, on the playing field. Yeah. So I didn't want to uh, be around that skateboarders too. You know, it was huh. like it was weird that cult- culture that became, um, like very progressive and kind of more on the arty end. You know, in Sun Valley where I grew up, it was like you know the scary guys. Like I want to get away from that sure. sort of stuff. You know? That's weird because when I was growing up, there was so many obstacles because there was like in San Diego, there was a big neo-Nazi issue. Oh, yeah. And so we were like pretty much anything that wasn't a neo-Nazi was like, cool, you know, we're like, all right. And so, and so like that's why you could go see like heroin, the band play with Unbroken, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was like it made sense, you know. But but if you left San Diego, there was this show that happened in, in Los Angeles. It was Click Attack, Slant 6, Unbroken and Undertow. And, oh, it, and it was like. 
everybody in the band thought it would make sense. The crowd fucking did not think it was cool, you know? And I'm like, that makes sense to me, but I guess it does LA is much more segregated. I was at that show and yeah. I didn't know the two of the bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew Click Attack, I knew Slant Six. Yeah. Because but that's... everybody was just shitty to each other. Not necessarily in the bands, but like just the crowd. It was like, fuck, man. I'm friends with every all these bands. This yeah, is yeah, cool yeah. as hell. I, I'm, this is four cool-ass bands, but like the people were not psyched. Well, I, I like that time period too. I remember... For the, I don't mind saying this for the record. I never really liked Jawbreaker. They were always like the good clean. <laughs> I never liked them either. <laughs> they were like the good clean guys that you could yeah. take home to mom. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. I never like, like got it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. But there was that show with Jawbreaker headlining with Click Attack and Slant Six down here. It was like a big like because I I would come down to shows all the time at the Shea, like several times a month to see bands. Yeah. Even though I lived in Los Angeles. You know, and I would never want to play a show with, with Click Attack because of Mario. It's just like fuck, this guy is so ripping. So good. You could never. At that time, there was nobody else as good as that band because of his drumming. You know, and I was like, yeah, yeah. I I really hope he has a sort of John Theodore trajectory and ends up in like some big band. You know, <laughs> I mean, Off is that's awesome. Yeah. But like, you know, you know, I would just you know, because he's. He, he was a paradigm shift with drumming in oh. sort of the scene and the culture. It was so rolling yeah. and just big, yeah. but really focused and like, yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. You know, he was, so, uh, when I started getting the sampling, you know, I tried to like sample Brooks and Mario. Oh yeah. But there's just sound quality. It's really hard. Sure. You know what I mean? Like to do, but I, I, I know I'm not, I'm not the only one that's tried to uh, sample that UOA. Such a great 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 drum rip someone sampled it somewhere you know i i heard it too they're yeah. much cleverer than yeah than i could think about things yeah. you know but that was like just that you know drums as, as a hook yeah you know it's so i know we, we're just we're just rambling on about well, good old times i want to so the jello thing i mean oh jello yeah because i dead cross played and we and we did nazi punks fuck off oh yeah, with him, yeah. and it was I mean, I've met Jello a bunch of times over the years. We we were on part of these like record label panels and at these at this at these things that, that like music, you know, I don't know where they had like live bands, and then you could go hear this panel of these people. And 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 like I was always kind of shocked when you'd be like, oh yeah, you know, Justin from the Locust, or like, or like talking about like Sunny K and GSL, and I'm like, how do you know this shit? Like I just figured he didn't know, but he did, and I was like, okay, this is cool. But when we did the song with them, it was like this is pretty fucking surreal for me i mean it's pretty surreal to play in in dead cross but also like on top of that like here's here's the dude like doing it you know and then it was weird to like like there was like a shitload of backlash i think people were just like fuck that you know getting keep the politics out of punk and like or whatever and i'm like i mean it would there wouldn't be a lot of shit if dead kennedys didn't exist yeah you know and so it was kind of weird but but i mean so the thing that you were doing did it ever come out as as like a were you like because they did that Melbourne's they, the, the... they did a record together I think there's some li- there might have been a live recording of that and then did of... you play in Guantanamo School of no no I never Jello asked me you know to do some stuff but I kind of got more into the synth thing uh-huh. that would have been probably around the time when you know I did that tour with you guys it was around Katrina maybe but he also I remember they were like getting a band together and he like they were trying to get like Andy Coronado I think Oh no, Andy played with the Melvins for a, for a little bit, right? He was doing something with Jello. Oh no, he was playing bass in the Jello Biafra Melvins project. Okay. And that was probably about 2008, 2009. Uh-huh. And 
and Andy, perfect guy to yeah. do it. You know yeah. what I mean? Two Geminis, Jello and Andy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh-huh. Kanye. Uh, you know, they they say very inflammatory things. Uh-huh. You know, Morrissey, Bob Dylan, Trump. You know. Like all Gemini's, Smenonius. Wow. You know? Wow, you just fucked up everyone by throwing Trump into the mix. I but know, I mean, I know, he is. I'm just glad he's not a Leo. Jesus. Oh, thanks. God. Yeah. Which he seems like he'd be one. He seems like he's got it. Well, uh, it, yeah, I mean, I, th- I you know, we're, we're probably preaching to the choir. Sure. Yeah, we, well, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> I really sucked the air, the air out of the room by that. But, uh, anyways, yeah. Um, I don't know if any of that stuff, ever, I think probably it was released live and all. Um, but yeah, we, I forgot how many shows we played some big festivals over in Europe, you know, the whole, like, it was probably like a metal punk with Jello. Yeah. Yeah. Doing the dead Kennedy songs. Well, it was, we we were doing, we were doing songs from that record that they did. I think we were probably doing Halo of Flies, the Alice Cooper song Mm. and a bunch of dead Kennedy Mm. songs. And so what was Gabe gonna do when you, when they were talking to Gabe about playing just replace Dale? Cause I think Dale was on maternity Maternity leave. leave. Okay. You know, wow. and and that would have been that would have been fun. But I the, remember it, him like rehearsing for it, and and we were like, oh, this is so cool. Yeah, because it, yeah, it would have been. I would. I mean, you know, I play. I've also been lucky to play with so many great drummers too. You know, and it's. I mean, he's really one of the best. You know, I mean, he's someone that's just like fucks up my brain about like how he does that. Like I don't understand it. You know, it's like I I. A few years ago, I bought a drum kit, which was the final frontier for me. That's the only thing that I can't, you know. <laughs> and, you know, the only drummer I'm referencing is Pat Mahoney from LCD. Uh-huh. So it's all, oh, yeah. uh-huh. you know, yeah. just four on the floor disco. Because yeah. I wanted to sync up like 909s with it. Sure. And, and uh, um, it's, you know, it's like I can't get, get my head around huh. that. But I actually, once you actually start playing an instrument, you can understand things better. Yeah. But still, he's he's a very, very special like I remember the people like mid two thousands, people that were held in the highest esteem were um uh uh, uh what's uh, why I'm spacing out on uh John Theodore, uh-huh. he's one. Uh who I would love to play oh, with. He's so good. Yeah. And the best dude ever. I know. Yeah. Um and uh what like am Zach I thinking? Hill. Zach. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course Zach. Yeah. I um what's uh i'm uh greg from Deerhoof. oh yeah gabe uh lightning bolt brian chippendale brian chippendale yeah yeah yeah. i mean those guys were like you know i mean mid-2000s was interesting it felt more like the early 80s where every band had a very strong individualistic style Uh for what they were doing it was almost like you know you think of like early 80s post-punk and then it kind of happened again with all the variations and how strongly different because now, you know, I hear a lot of bands and there's a, they're all like one, you know, there's a lot of shoegazery stuff uh-huh. and then sort of like really pop punky garage stuff. And like it changes every season. But, you know, it's I'm seeing less things that, you know, have an individual identity. You huh. know, it's like Liars sounded nothing like Wolf Eyes. Oh, yeah. And, you know... But Liars is a good example because they kind of, I love their first record, but it was oh, very, amazing. it was very, it was a lot more typical than, than they got to mm-hmm. be, you know, it like took this path of, I don't know where the fuck they were going. First record? From, from the first record mm-hmm. to now, it's just like oh, yeah, yeah. a whole, I mean, it's like Black Dice too, you know, like just like this evolution that's 
two completely different bands. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> we were wrong, so they drowned. Was my favorite yeah. record of from two thousand to two thousand zero. Wow. Like I love that record. Huh. You know, it felt like all of my favorite bands all at once. Yeah. You know, and Drums Not Dead's really really great. I yeah. follow them throughout their. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they're just they they have the support and love from Daniel Miller to do you know it's like yeah. from mute it's yeah. like you guys something special do whatever you want yeah you know but now it's just um it's angus. Just angus yeah which yeah. is kind of a trip too yeah yeah i mean i love those guys yeah you know uh i mean aaron's from san diego oh yeah he's a yeah. chill vista guy i think he's living in berlin now yeah yeah, yeah. and uh uh yeah, I mean, they were just really, really great, great band. Still, you know, still doing yeah. cool stuff, you know, really pushing things. That new record's great, too. Yeah. Um, so I want to hear about, like, where was this transition from to modular synth stuff? Because at some point, you, what, what was, like, you were, what were you doing in an LCD sound system? I was playing guitar, and that was way after the fact. I'd been doing modular. Joey and I started getting into modulars independently uh, at the same time. Yeah. Because Joey is, you know... The dexterity that all you guys have in Locust, it's just phenomenal. Uh -huh. You know, everyone like amazing uh -huh. players. And you the know, two of you guys performing together though uh, was that, fucking awesome. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I really liked I mean, uh I would love to like I wish we could go back. I mean, I recorded some stuff on one of those old Roland digital recorders. Uh -huh. I wound up getting rid of. They were so difficult. I have a recording from the Che. It's oh, great. Do? I would love to put it out someday, but yes, I, I, I'll give it to you, <laughs> yeah, and you can yeah. talk to Joey because I don't think Joey wants to, but it's I know, really good. I know. I know. Joey is very high standards, as we, you know, and I respect that. But um, I would love, to, I would love to hear that again. Yeah. Um, I know uh, Wes really wanted to put something out oh, yeah. too, and we were. This is the same recording. Yeah, yeah. Because Sal from Some Girls recorded it. Oh, okay. Because we yeah. did those shows, some yeah, girls, yeah, yeah. and you guys played with us. And then we played Chain Reaction with yep. you, and uh, yeah, no, I love playing with Joey. I love talk. I mean, Joey and I still talk, you know, regularly about like things we're into uh -huh. and all. I mean, I was always more until I got my Wurlitzer. I was more just a knob twister and all. But my my interest in modular synth <laughs> came out of my last run with Melvin stuff. Just, we're gonna pause for that knob twister thing. <laughs> yeah <laughs> such a great name um, bad name yeah but i mean it's like you know people that can really play synths and all joey's totally. one of those guys i you know i was just making sounds and trying to get into the synthesis that he knows how to do as well uh -huh. you know he's very deep into it and so the modular stuff is okay i worked with the melvins and did melvin's phantom stuff for a number of for a bunch of shows um got super well sorted out with that project like oh my god like i was used to having like donuts in my bank account you uh -huh. know zero oh, zeros, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i you know and i wanted to reinvest into music stuff i wasn't ready to get a studio or build a studio yet but uh i, w I, I was working at a, a microphone company called royer labs building like ribbon microphones uh -huh. after nine uh nine eleven so after Unwound, building ribbon microphones, I'm living in Pasadena above someone's garage, my friend's garage. That was actually, it was actually really nice. <laughs> it was really peaceful out there. Living above a garage is better than living in a garage. It's true, <laughs> true. It was like an A-frame thing. Um, and it was really, you know, I had like, I look out the window and there was like parrots, the Pasadena oh, parrots yeah, out there. Yeah. 
But I was taking the bus or the gold line had just opened up. So I was taking the bus to and from work in the valley, building the microphones. And I went to the NAMM show and I checked out the Voyager, which was brand yeah. new. I went, wow, this is incredible. I had some synthesizers, but nothing like, yeah. you know, fancy. You know, I was used to look like the Moog Concertmate, the Radio Shack one. And, um, you know. <laughs> which is like. I mean, that's like a to- it was like kind of meant to be a toy, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah but they yeah. sounded great. Yeah. I mean, they were the sound yeah. of so many. That was what got the Locust into using synths was that thing. The concert mate. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was called the it's a realistic. MG1? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the yeah. MG1. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. MG1. I'm, maybe, uh, but it was sold at Radio Shack and it was really cheap mm-hmm. and that was the, the jam. And there, you could find them in thrift stores we literally found, yeah. $35, <laughs> yeah. $40. Yeah. Like Bobby we, found Bobby and I found one at, for 75 and that was like, we just were like, this is so much money, but we need this for our band. And yeah. that was what changed everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're really cool. I mean, that deserves actually a reissue. The organ stuff. Even uh-huh. though it's got the cool synth, but all the other things that it has are really cool too yeah. and very underrated. Um, but yeah, so I was taking, I was dry. I, I, I went, I saw the Voyager. I went, wow, this is amazing. I felt like an, very inspired by this instrument. And um, I, I hadn't felt that way since I built my jazz master. Uh-huh. My jazz master made me want to actually learn how to play the guitar rather uh-huh. using it as a sounding instrument and like actually figure out what the scale was and uh-huh. just like the basic stuff that everyone else figured out yeah. that I <laughs> did in reverse because uh-huh. it was all the extended technique sound sort of stuff. And then so um, I found out, you know, companies do uh, artist deals yeah. and you know, I was like, oh, I'm never going to get. But, you know, if you see these people that are representing, like, you know, it's some band that you never heard of, uh, like, in a, you know, there'll be an advertising advertisement for some sort of, like, effects pedal. Yeah. And some dude in some band you never heard of, you know. And so the guy who ran... Roy, never heard of them because no one knows who they are because they're huge, but we just, like, No, no, shit. I think it's more like they're people that just are really savvy with, like, you know, they look, uh. they, they look the part, you know, I mean, you get some guy that looks like Vince Neal, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but you don't know, yeah. and he probably does look like that yeah. and all, but, you know, he's in the band that, you know, you know, should have dried up after Nevermind, you yeah. know? So Rick, who ran Royer, was just like, hey, you know what? There's this thing called artist consideration deals. You know, why don't you talk to Moog and just say, hey, listen, I've just done, uh, I've just been playing with the Melvins. I played with Mike Patton yeah. and, and Dave Lombardo. Yeah. Because I hate doing that stuff. The promotion yeah. stuff, it's... It's it's pretty annoying. It's really, really yeah. annoying. So for the first time ever, I wrote Moog for anyone. Uh-huh. I wrote them um, a message and I painfully put out my credentials yeah. out there. <laughs> now and, it's on Wikipedia. You could just send them the link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they wrote back to me and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, um, you certainly qualify for what you've done before. Mm-hmm. And it was much cheaper. And I I, had, I wasn't trying to get free stuff. Yeah. Not for a second. I was trying to, you know, someone like Trent Reznor, I'm sure, gets that sort yeah. of stuff. But, um, Which is crazy because, I mean, Trent's <laughs> cool and stuff, but, like, he's got the money to buy that shit. Like, yeah. they should be hooking up 
Yeah. Us. That's, <laughs> but, you know, it was I, I saved a bunch of money on it, and they sent me a Voyager. Yeah. And although I was in the synth side of JX3P from the 80s, that was one of the first instruments I ever got, one of the Roland JX3Ps. And I knew a little bit about synthesis, but... I swear, I read that manual back and forth, <laughs> which is one of the most... If you want to learn about synthesis, that the, the Moog Voyager manual is one of the best written huh. manuals of all time. It really explains what, um, you know, what an LFO does or uh-huh. how an ADSR works or how you can modulate with a noise signal and what's the difference between white and what's pink. It's, it's phenomenal. Wow. And it's not like with those Roland manuals that are just like... Oh my God! Yeah. Pick up the TB three hundred three manual. It's like, oh yeah. my God! It's, it's so rough. Um, so where does like an IKEA manual fit into that? <laughs> God. Yeah, I mean that's, I I think the IKEA manual, it's kind of it's very similar to like the uh, have you seen the instruction booklet for any of the, uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, teenage uh, operators like, they do like the OP one. And those little, they look oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Those manuals. It's very, uh-huh. it's very Scandinavian, maybe. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's funny because I try not to. I just don't like manuals at all, and so I'm yeah. just like, what do I do? And then I just, I mean, I kind of dicked around with Joey's Moog a little bit when he got it, but I was, you know, it wasn't my gear. But I, I thought like, oh, I'm so rad. Like if I had this, just to like, not have a, you know, I wouldn't. I would just try to figure it out. I mean, that's same with like, any kind of effects pedals. I mean, I remember like. I don't know, like the 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 line six to those like M thirteen ones or M mm-hmm. sixteen or whatever they're called. And it's like it's like all of the line six pedals oh, in yeah, one, yeah. and like you know those really big boards. Yeah, yeah. and the and the and the uh, the manuals kind of sucked. And and it's like, I feel like if you just kind of approached it without that, you can kind of discover cooler shit. Where like it, it kind of like ingrains this way of like writing and don't like like yeah. Why would you have like all four settings to run through four purple? line six pedals that no one they're not going to tell you to do that but you should fucking do that because then it's like insanely weird and like you may may make something that's like really interesting but Um, that's the thing is like not a i don't know like maybe less explanation is good i get through like three pages of every manual that i (laughs) go through and then i'm like i pretty much get the the I, I learn more from the table of contents and mm-hmm. just familiarizing myself with the words. Yeah. And then learning like the NPC. I'm like maybe page four. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's the farthest I've gotten. This so the manual I have the manual here. And yeah, yeah. Like you can see the first three pages. SP twelve hundred, by the way. Yeah, yeah SP twelve hundred. <laughs> yeah. And you can you see like the you know fingerprints on but the the other 47 pages nothing yeah. clear white yeah the this the sub 37 it's it's this is very difficult for me but my son is knows how to do it so over the weekend he came down and we just sat in the studio he was just showing me how to use it and i learned more and then we're just experimenting you know it's just like yeah yeah the, the manual did no, I totally feel you on that about sort of intuitive exploration and also like doing things wrong can create or like, you know, amazing accidents. Sure. I mean, Get Hustle was completely built on like, you know, failed attempts making interesting, ho- hopefully interesting. Yeah, sure. You know, 
But there or like some... Black Dice. I feel like they kind of did that too. They, you know, like they didn't really know like the reference points were so skewed and yeah, yeah. You just kind of make something up. Well, I ne- I I was completely with you with about not knowing about what things did and. But there's something about the Voyager that made me want to explore synthesis. So I would know how to do things uh-huh. with it. So I could, like, it, instead of, like, blindly doing something, I wanted to be able to work intuitively and instinctually. So if I heard something or I felt something, I could go to that knob and move it to something. Uh-huh. And trying to cut down any sort of... Uh, you know, space between the thought and the action and just being able to go into it. And there was something about, like, and then moving into... The thing that got me into modular synthesis was all the jacks on the back of the Voyager. Because uh-huh. once I saw that... Once I found out what CV was, which up until then, I didn't know anything about because I didn't read any manuals about what CV does or uh, I didn't know the difference between MIDI and CV. And... I was never interested in MIDI, you know, mm-hmm. like there was something that, you know, I'm not there anymore. I use it all the time, but it's just tool. But um, the whole idea about like electrical pulses being, you know, sending five volts to something and it causing an A to come out and then sending 5.2 volts out and uh, a B coming out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there was something very organic about like electricity not being con- consistent and there being subtle variations in like sound and all i mean you're going to get that but it it, analog synthesis it just seemed much more natural i don't know i got really you know a few times in my life i got really inspired by something and i totally get the whole thing and i subscribe to like just fucking around and finding something better that some schooled person's not going to get you know and that's why i love having people coming (laughs) over to my studio and because when I built my studio, I had every I have everything set up so everyone can work intuitively and have fun and not have to know how to do anything. Uh-huh. But me kind of like guide them and throw them into this room where they can like explore stuff without knowing it yeah. and be capturing it, like without huh. them knowing things. That's really right. important to me, and all. But you know, <clears throat> but now at this point, it's like me knowing about this stuff. I can be more of service and help up help people yeah. do things more. Um, but yeah, the Voyager, I wanted to control an analog delay with my finger so I could get things to oscillate with oh, the yeah. XYA control in the middle of the Voyager. So I got some this company called Blasset. Uh, they were building these think frack rack kits, and I thought they were really interesting and weird modules because the Voyager is very straightforward. You know, LFOs, you know... It's not so weird. You know, it's very standard in a synthesizer. But mixing modular synth pieces with the Voyager that interact with the Voyager, I could make, I could expand upon the normal, basic, but great sound that the Voyager has. You know, I could add... But you could also import. Import? Uh, like, right? Couldn't you import? Like, like, because when Joey would run his modular patch base into his... Yeah, yeah. Voyager. So you're sort of importing these other elements to it. like Exactly, yeah. <clears throat> There's a... I figured out that I could send a... By pressing a note... Okay, with the analog delay, I could hook it up to the Voyager, 
and run it into the external audio in. So I could sound a, I could send a note into an analog delay that was feeding back into itself, then run it back into the Voyager, and I could use the, the keys to change the speed of the delay and almost get use a self-oscillating delay as a melody. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like... Yeah, that, sure. That, when, and when I when I figured out I could do that, I was like, oh my God, modular synths rule. You know, it's like I got uh, that started it. It was really the Blessette time machine. I had to get the IO at module first just to start things off. But the Blessette time machine <clears throat> started me with modular stuff. And <clears throat> because I'd worked, I had jobs like soldering things before, I bought the parts and the board soldered up it oh. was much yeah if that's three hundred dollars because the one that you toured with in the locust you built yeah and i yeah. remember joey like was like inspired by that and then built jo a giant one too well it actually uh i was using smaller stuff uh -huh. the frack rack stuff okay and joey was start again excited about modular stuff too he bought his voyager and that joey and i totally came up together with yeah. all this stuff and he without a doubt because I use the 5U system, Joey inspired me to get that because I was using frack rack stuff uh -huh. because I thought the module was a little bit more wild. And Joey got turned on this guy, Paul Schreiber, yeah. who does MOTM. <clears throat> and they're 4, they're 4U, excuse me, they're 5U quarter inch. They seem to integrate really well with the Voyager. And I thought the, the modules were really, you know, they weren't as wild as the Blasset stuff. Uh-huh. So I bought some faceplates that would match the 5U ones. I converted my frack rack stuff, which is smaller and closer to like the super popular now Euro rack stuff to, to 5U so I could get all the Blasset weirdo modules, which aren't really weird by modular standard today, uh -huh. but back then. And then, uh, but yeah, other than a few modules that I that are digital modules that they didn't offer kits for. I built about 40 of the modules, 40 of the 45 modules I have. I have more modules than like space in my, my um, thing I play shows with. I have a bunch in the closet and all. When I want to change things up, I just put them in there. Excuse me, I'm burping. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was super fun. And then like... Um, I don't know. I just synthesis opened up a whole new world of exciting ways of approaching music. It had all the power and blast off characteristics of harsh noise metal because all my early modular synth stuff was more like power electronic stuff. Sure. And I wasn't trying to be like noisy or anything like that, but I just wanted like loud, pure tones and all. You know, flicking a switch and all of a sudden having a digital white noise generator that was slowed down and just like it could be so loud and so ferocious and all. And uh, then mixing of the electroacoustic instruments that I, you know, contact mics with wires on it or the thunder sheet with, yeah. with a contact, you know, mixing those two elements and just putting together like a weird set and all. Sure. But, like know, so that would be more like a th like a perform live performance yeah yeah because i didn't really record the yeah. stuff because which we used the contact mics and the thunder sheet and the locust i mean that was great like watch just 
I remember like on those parts, like just standing still and like just you you going over to Gabe's drums and like have these contact mics and like you guys doing some shit together. I mean, it made it very theatrical. And of course, the thunder sheet was like very theatrical, this yeah, big yeah. shiny metal thing that you're well, just destroying. And that was me going against a lot of like harsh noise people at the time that would just stand at a table and not do anything. Yeah. I think, and there's something about the physicality of it. Like if you physically, if you... If you shake it very subtly, you're uh-huh. not getting a big sound. But if you really get into it and throw yourself into it, yeah. it comes out there. Huh. Me putting the contact mic on Dale's uh, on Gabe's drums, uh-huh. uh, which I used to do with Dale too. I would get I I remember I would open up Melvin's sets and I would just sit on Dale's drums with two contact mics, and I would get the drums to feedback, and then I would make loops of it. So I'd make feedback drum kit and all, uh-huh. which definitely not the first person to do that yeah. but i think for a lot of a lot of people have not seen that before. sure but at the same time i wasn't ripping anything off because i just wasn't aware of it oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. like most of the contact mic stuff was you know people you know putting in a tin can and shaking around like yeah masana st- uh, 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 uh yeah masana style uh-huh. yeah Merzabal, right did he do it too Merzbo, yeah. Maybe he, not. His tabletop stuff, he had this thing that I remember when he could play in front of like 20 people in uh-huh. LA. Not like play the Regent now yeah. with Prurient or yeah. anything. But I remember he, Damien booked Merzbo's show at this place, this uh, club down the street from uh, Mike's, Mike Crane's rehearsal space downtown called uh-huh. 50 Bucks. Uh-huh. I don't know. If, it was a very LA thing, but they do harsh noise shows. And I watched you know Mersbo play in front of like 30 people yeah, maybe wow. and there are like people that like the unsane and noisy rock stuff but yeah he had this sort of it looked like a spring reverb he had some sort of contact or some sort of miking thing and then tabletop pedals and multiple amps that he borrowed from all the noise people and like rock people noise rock people in los angeles oh yeah it was great. I mean, it was so loud and stuff like that. But so I didn't want to do that. I like the space because I want chaos, and chaos is in the regeneration of things. You know, as you feed back through things, it's like one cycle of, you know, contact mic resonating against a paper cup, uh-huh. you know, or a wire and all as it goes through there and continues to go, and that's where you get the chaos of it and all. Uh-huh. And that's why it's like to me, it was very. Harsh noise was like free music and all. But also harsh noise, I think you you kind of cut off your you limit yourself with like texture. Um, and I think that's that's my my kind of bigger gripe because like I like a lot of the stuff that like Trogatronic pedals do oh, yeah. because there's texture to it. It almost sounds like rubbery or like there's you know like or wet or like yeah, there's something yeah. to it where like a lot of noise stuff is just harsh, piercing, uh, yeah. abrasive stuff. So. <clears throat> well. Yeah, I mean, I think newer people like uh, who are making pedals or instruments, they're aware of like not pristine sort of sounds and all. I mean, a lot of times back in the day, like harsh noise people were just using what was available. Sure. So it was like boss pedals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're you know you're working within like boss's design limitations uh-huh. and all. And now people are <laughs> making pedals. You know, I saw this one pedal that. I always I, I I'm kind of, I'm kind of bummed because it was I always had this idea too it was like a contact mic with a circuit in it so you're so it would it was almost like a reverb tank for the pedal so it would so you'd play something it would excite the contact mic in there the contact mic would work as a speaker and then another contact mic 
would go back into it. So it was almost this sort of huh. like, it was just like, it would just be really, really noisy and yeah. all. And it would, there'd be no way of actually, it, every time you played, it'd be whatever, yeah. you know, room acoustics sure. where it's sitting, yeah. how hard you hit it and all. But like people are, people are doing much more interesting things. Huh. And they're, but I've never been a designer sort of person to me. I made, I built things because I, you know, to save money uh-huh. and I could do the things I want. I, 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 I'm not a designer. There's people like Raina Rusum who plays synth and LCD and she designs sort of some ideas okay. with like electronics and all. And, um, so how did your, approach to lcd work then if you were playing guitar i mean you had all this knowledge of synth well or modular yeah, synth, because so. lcd is really james's thing uh-huh. jay and james murphy came from our world he knows who the locust is sure, yeah he used to do i mean he had that losing my edge song and it references like everything that we grew up listening to exactly he's yeah. part of the culture and the scene um you know if you look at the dfa logo with the lightning bolt it looks very much like the K logo, uh-huh. and there was something about that. And James had James had toured with Long Hind Legs, which is Vern Rumsey's yeah. band, and Fits of Depression yeah. in his old bands. Mm-hmm. And what he did was basically take that DIY sensibility, and instead of using Pacific Northwest uh, references like K or Kill Rock Stars uh-huh. did, he took New York references, which was like dance music, disco, uh-huh. and did his, you know. It's a very insular world of people. I mean, you know, and it gets interesting because this is where the Rapture come in, who were from San Diego uh-huh. and um, moved to Seattle, and then they end up in New York and all. But, I mean, the early thing, like Justin Cherno, who, uh, Panthers, I think he was, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you know, took James to go see the Rapture and all, and James was like, oh, I'm starting a label. I want you, I want to produce you guys. Oh, yeah. And, um, so he's not really unrelated. He's very much related, which I didn't know about at the time because I, Tyler Pope, who was in Chick Chick Chick, was the bass player for the band. He so he was doing Chick 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 and LCD. And evidently, James went to go see Tyler. Went to see Chick 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 and went, "That guy's gonna be my bass player one day," you know, because <clears throat> James had played in like indie rock bands. He, he was a bouncer at City Gardens because uh-huh. he's like a really uh-huh. he's actually a really big dude uh-huh. but he he you might not think of it but he you know he knew what was up yeah and um you know he was also he's got an amazing ear he has that passion about learning I guess he wrote Steve Albini when he was a kid and because he loved big black uh-huh. like we all did and Steve Albini wrote him back and told him how to build a little home studio at his mom's house or something. It's wow. really amazing. And and so he was also obsessed with recording, playing in bands. He's a great drummer. And, you know, he started after he produced The Rapture and started doing remixes for bands. He started making some LCD music and the dude can do everything on his own. Uh-huh. You know, it's not unlike a Nine Inch Nails situation. Okay. But instead of, you know, taking a major label money and then hiring hotshot people that you don't know, he hired these people that were around him that were like out of college and like, oh, you know, we're working at the coffee house or we're carpenters. Yeah. Because he wanted to be around the people that he knew were like talented friends and all. Like uh-huh. uh, Pat was in La Savi Fav, uh-huh. is that how you say it? Uh-huh. Yeah. And Nancy was a, a fr- Nancy's only been in Luan McLean and LCD Sound System. Okay. But, you know, it's like 
He hired his friends that were out of college. It's He's so DIY, and it's weird because there's such a massive band at this point. Uh-huh. So because they're so insular and, like, you know, they could... when. The guy who had been playing guitar with them before, he's also in this band Hot Chip. He was also working as their musical director. He can He's another one of those guys that can play every instrument in the band and show people how to play their parts. Uh-huh. I love Al. He's an amazing guy. And I toured with him. So Al, they were putting out a Hot Chip record the same year the LCD record um, was coming out. You know, we were, they had, they, I remember I was just going out with this girl and saw the Coachella lineup, and it was Jay-Z and then the LCD sound system underneath. And I thought, oh, wow, Tyler's doing really well. Yeah. Maybe I, I've never been to Coachella. Maybe I can go to yeah. this. Yeah. And and um, because they're music enthusiasts, nerds even, about like record, like not collecting, but listening and seeking things out. Uh-huh. And gear enthusiasts, and you know what I mean? Like, they can really, really talk the, the talk. Um, you know, and also they're just kind of like, you know, as you get more successful, there's a lot of people that just might want to, like, they get kind of thirsty around you. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're a little sensitive about that sort of stuff. So, actually, you're part of the story, too, because I came down to San Diego, and I was like, Justin, hey, I'm going out with this girl. I want to come down for Valentine's Day. Can you recommend a place? Oh, yeah. You recommended... Do, do I say like because uh, you recommended the, the Pearl oh the hotel the yeah, hotel because uh-huh, yeah. I was looking for yeah. a, a cool yeah, hotel yeah, to go yeah, to yeah. Uh, for Valentine's yeah. Day or around that and then a restaurant and it's um, Alicia uh, uh, oh Starlight Starlight yeah, uh-huh. so you recommended these yeah. places uh-huh. and uh, and when I was down in San Diego I got a call from Tyler going like hey uh, um would you be interested in trying out for LCD? We can't find a guitar player. I went, Tyler, what are you talking about? Like you could get someone. It's like, Oh, well, you know, it's hard to get to know people or like, we don't know a lot of people because uh-huh. they, it, it's not like LCD Interpol, the strokes were all hanging out. These are, these are all very separate entities. Yeah. 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 yeah as LCD are actually closer to the same world rather than Interpol or the strokes or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, People think of them as big New York bands, but they're still like DFA was its own scene. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember telling the person that I was with, "Hey, I got asked to try out for this band. I really was starting to fall in love with her." Uh-huh. And I was like, "I would have, you know." And she was like, "No, babe, you should definitely go and try that. Try out for yeah. them." And and I guess so. James, so Tyler told James that I'd played in. The Melvins and Unwound and James was like, "Get him out here," you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually yeah. more, I think, more yeah. for the Unwound because he liked Unwound. Yeah. He knew he knew Vern. He James was hip to that sort of culture, sure. uh-huh. and I went out there with a one way ticket, and I flew out there. I practiced with them. I thought I was really, really nervous. And I was playing eighth notes with a delay, thinking like, you know, da-da. And then they were like, oh, no, you just have to play 16th note. So da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, I would, so I was practicing for like three days. And I was like, hey, so what's the deal? It's like, you know, do, uh, I don't have a ticket back. They're like, oh, wait, you need to go back. 
they didn't even tell me that I got it. It was just like, oh, uh, we're hoping that you can stay here for the next six weeks. <laughs> so I didn't. I, so I went to New York, and I didn't come back until Coachella at uh-huh. all. But what? Oh, the, and you played the Coachella that you yeah really yeah. Just and I stayed to to. on tour with them for the rest of that record cycle. Uh-huh. You know, so I played 118 shows with them. I remember and, you played like a YSL thing. Yeah, I yeah. was like, that's no, kind of I didn't play the YSL oh. thing. That was when we were practicing. And that was, I was not related. Okay. I, I didn't, I, that would have been fun to do just yeah. for the weirdness yeah, of I it. Yeah, I know, yeah. Because anything sort of weird, like, like when I see like Johnny Chromatics doing some weird runway thing, it's like, that's so, because yeah. knowing where everyone comes sure, from, yeah. it's like, that's awesome that they're having some weird experience. But um, James writes all the music. He gets people to come in and it, it would be like a Fantomas situation. James and Patton are both, Aquarians, you know, very intense. <laughs> James is James and Mike actually strangely remind me of each other, you know, uh, with their work ethic. They're huh. really intense. James is, you know, you know, a lovely, amazing person. Like he really, really gets it. One of the first things he said to me was like, you know, after we started practicing and, you know, I was finally learning all these parts. And he was like, hey, you know, I just want, you know, I really appreciate you taking time off of your life and the music that your your own personal stuff to play in my band. Wow. Like he's uh-huh. he's an amazing dude. Yeah. Like he's one of the best guys. Like I was going through a hard time a couple of years ago and uh, and he was writing that his next record, the comeback record and all. And I realized when I put the timeline together, he was calling or checking in with me every few days or every day or texting me and like wondering how I was doing while he was writing his new record. Oh. He comes from our punk rock ethics, uh-huh. but he got into like house and techno yeah. and like all and, you know, but we all love post-punk and that's definitely a part of yeah. it. So, I mean, so, you could, when I listened to LCD, like even when I first discovered it, I was like, this is weird. Like not something I would normally like, but I really like it because I felt like it was like punk rock, you know? He records Uh, all the stuff himself. I mean, he has people that he works with, but he is, he was someone that can actually visualize sound. He knows all the frequency numbers. Like he, he is not to be fucked with. Juan (laughs) Juan McLean, who's like one of a very good friend of his, who's Uh, the Juan McLean. He was in Six Finger Satellites. Oh yeah. Um, Uh, James is do front of house for Juan McLean. And he, Juan has always said, like, even if James couldn't write a song, he would be one of the best engineer, like recording engineers in the world. You know, uh-huh. it's because he threw himself into the like, learning how to do it, you know, making, you know, doing it, reading the manuals. You know, he's, <laughs> he's someone that's inspired me to, like, read the manuals and learn how to do this stuff, but actually make stuff. And, and you know it's perfect as is just get it out and put it in the world. The next one will be, get, be, be better. Huh? You know? That's really, crazy too, because a lot of people that I work with are, don't, they're like, um, I don't want to say anyone's name in specific, but like they won't just put it out there, you know, like you did it, but they're like, they're not sure, you know? And like, I don't know if I'd ever put out my first second, everything, you know, like I, I feel like I had to put it out to learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's well, like, there's people that are very encouraging people that it's better to exist as where it's at because that will take you to another level yeah or make you questions like oh i shouldn't have done that 
But yeah. I, every time I put something out, I'm like, like I mean, we we're always talking about how we hate the Planet B record already, and it's like, oh, but, but I mean, yeah, you yeah. Ma- it makes you go like the next because we started writing exactly. new shit, and you're like, the next stuff exactly. is better. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's just like pushing forward. D Styles, um, one of the DJs for Visible Scratch Pickles. Uh, I love the Scratch Pickles. Yeah. Like Mac and I got turntables. Not that we were going to get into scratching, but wait, didn't Get Hustle have turntables at one oh, point? Oh, Mac did have a turntable. I remember and he that. He ran through Electroharmonics, uh, um, uh, uh, Electric Mistress, which is insane. Okay, um, what were you going to say though about about these styles? The, um, back to what we were talking about when when I was working on him with a few records, I had a bunch of you know like beats and stuff. Yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, what are you doing with these? And I was just like, kind of like, oh, I'm, you know, holding on to this and this. And he was very like, no, he's like, you made these now, like release, like let these go now because this is who you are now. And then develop like, you know, don't hold on to these for two, three years and hoping that like just who you are now is you should release that kind of music now and not like hold on to it because you're going to develop as a musician as and a person at the same time mm. so it was like that really changed the way i was even though i still hold on a lot <laughs> no, well, it's just like you continually make stuff i mm-hmm. i totally. make things and i work and develop ideas and all and also because now i do scoring work which is so cool well which is i'm lucky that i get to do some projects like that i mean like my old way of thinking where it's like oh fuck that i would never do a trap piece of music mm. you know what i mean and i trap is awesome you know sonically and all that stuff but like oh that's not me but if i get a job for a commercial to make a trap piece like a trap track you know it's like okay i'm gonna learn everything i can about like oh you know multi-band compression and like focusing the sub so it's the biggest sounding sort of sub sort of thing and this way I, I have a job that I get to learn more about music production and writing and all. And I am removed from having to put this out, you know, with my name and all, you know, and not because I, I do the best job I can for whatever. If yeah. I don't particularly listen to country music, but oh, wow. OK, now I know that if I run my Telecaster with a MXR Dynacomp, I can do an approximation of sort of country p- picking and all. And I'm not going to release that. It's just like building up all these things that, because my noisy, harsh, sort of techno-y stuff, you know, it's like I still do my personal work and all. It doesn't take any, like learning how to do more stuff, it doesn't take anything away from your aesthetic, you know, and the things that you personally want to do. It just kind of gives you more of a wider tool set to draw from. Well, that's another thing, too, is I always come, I always like, there's certain people that I've, that I play music with that are like, I'm this, I'm the guitar, I'm the guitar player and I do this or like I'm the drummer and I do this. And it's like, well, what, what about like not doing that? Like, what about doing some weird ass avant-garde shit that doesn't make sense or like something that's kind of stupid or, or like not taking yourself too seriously and, and, and playing in like a, a techno band or, or doing something that's like not, yeah, your, yeah. not your instrument, you know? And it's like, that's where you start becoming unique in yourself you know and and because you're also your references are coming from somewhere else and it's going back to like gabe's a good example i remember reading this interview where they were like asking about like um his drumming and hardcore and stuff and they're like what kind of hardcore bands you listen to and he's like i don't i don't i don't listen to hardcore i just play it and i was like fuck that's rad that's why you don't sound like an average hardcore drummer 
Um, yeah, exactly. Hybriding things. At hybriding things creates new, interesting ways of approaching it. It's like, uh, okay, after LCD, I learned that I really learned the history of where house music came from, which is really fucking punk rock. Totally. In way. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, super... which is a lot like hip hop too. And yeah, 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 yeah. Last night, DJ saved my life. James was like, read this book. Yeah. Read, read the history yeah. of like it. It came out of you know, uh, gay culture that wasn't white, that after corporate, you know, music industry America blew up the disco records that was played in these clubs, you know, DJs looping the same record for 32 bars and then tapping in a 909 kick underneath it and on a reel to reel. That's fucking punk rock because you destroy a culture when you stop playing, like (laughs) making the music. You know, that's Frankie Knuckles right there. Yeah. And then uh-huh. Larry Levon, it's like, so learning that, like I could like, you know, dance music, real dance music, because, you know, I listen to Warps, Warp Records, but, you know, Square Pusher is not like techno or house. Yeah. It's its own thing. But I listen to a lot of electronic music. Um, Which is so crazy. I worked at this club and it was like a, a, a they played like EDM and it was like the the, the guy that owned the club, yeah. nice guy. And he's like a, he's a millionaire or whatever. And he would just so he he like moved to New York to go be, to go to DJ school. And mm-hmm. I was like, dude, that's the wrong thing to do. And like, and and it was it was a gay club. And the only reason I think the only reason I got a job there was because they they one he found out that I have a Wikipedia he thought that was so cool and I, I didn't know why and then they knew I was on Jerry Springer and so they're like oh my god and so they kept me working there because they don't hire straight people and and, yeah. and um you know I don't really necessarily identify as like straight or like like I'm not like the straight dude but like I and I fit in there but like anyhow like the, the musical side of things I was like dude everything that guy does is shit because it's by the books and it's he wants to be just like this and just like you know Tiesto or whatever and like that's fine but like <laughs> but when you're trying to be like Tiesto like you're gonna just be like a second rate version of Tiesto like what about like just being fucking weird and like doing shit on your own and figuring it out on your own or he, referencing the roots he ran a club he, owned he was a club. the owner and he and he so he would book himself as the DJ like uh, above like real DJs like you know like they'd fly in like whoever like I don't know who's a bit popular da- dance house DJ but then he would be billed on top of them like you know and, wow. I'm surprised yeah, he doesn't, doesn't pay some I'm surprised he doesn't pay you to ghostwrite tracks for him well I think maybe he might have done that but he oh. went to this <laughs> no not him but like he I think he might have done that for other people but he would go yeah. to like um yeah he moved to New York to go to DJ school mm. and then he would come back and it was like he's Oh, I just said his name. We have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> his name's is... That was his like thing. But like, so he's back. Here's and he like he would be DJing. He would stop the music and be like, "Everybody, this is my new my new remix or my new like yeah." He would play my my new remix of this Britney song, and you're like, "Fuck this!" And that's not an attractive way to get into electronic no. music and and dance yeah. music. And he'd play it twice in a in a oh, night. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, culturally, there's things that there's a there's a disconnect from how to do things in a way that shows some sort of like character and integrity and humility. <laughs> and then there's other ways about just getting the external sort of things and all. And uh, yeah, it's weird that and that sort of that's what I thought that culture was about. Yeah. But then you look at like Jeff Mills doing 909 solos. Yeah. Like it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I didn't know that really existed. I, I'd i heard hints of that through like reading like 
like an Autecra uh, interview or something, but the two people that the most influential that brought me into that world that were my guides <clears throat> was Nate Harrington. Did you ever know Nate Harrington? He's he was a smell kid. Huh. Uh, he was when No Age and all those bands were coming up. He was the first person that of our scene that was listening to electronic music uh-huh. and like real club music and got into the history of it. And so like he was just someone that would go to the smell or he, he, he did he, he grew like... up in Mars Volta culture. Okay. You know what yeah. I mean? And then, you know, he was hang- friends with no age mm. and he worked at family books mm. and he's like, Oh yeah, I started listening. And this must've been 2003 or something like that. And he started getting his much, you know, he's maybe in his early thirties now. He was like a young kid, like totally put himself out there. And, you know, he he started exploring that world of stuff. And Tyler from LCD and Chick Chick Chick, he's the one that would send me tracks to listen to. It's like, oh, yeah, you got to check out this Larry Levon mix from the, the, the Paradise Garage. And like uh, the thing, the one thing that I did like was Acid House stuff. Mm-hmm. I liked the psychedelic elements of that. And I knew a little bit about that sort of stuff before. And my friend, when I was building my synth collection, let me borrow his TB303 for a long time. And I got a converter. It was so exciting to run, you know, a logic making a nine, a kick, like a kick on my modular with the 303. It was so much fun. And then running through distortion pedal. But I liked, I liked acid stuff, but I was not hip to, I, I thought I would hate house music. I would think that techno didn't have any character. This is just my old way of thinking. Uh-huh. And ultimately, it's just throwing yourself into it and listening to it more, uh-huh. you know, and just like, you know, when I joined LCD, I took every piece of music that I'd ever downloaded from the Internet, whether it was the Stooges or Pussy Galore or, uh, you know, un, you know, bands I'd played in. And I threw 30 gigs away of music. I got rid of all my iTunes, like everything. I saw vinyl and all, but like I got rid of everything that I became so familiar with. And I started filling up with like music, the history of like, like dance music, uh-huh. club music. And, <clears throat> you know, Strictly Rhythm, uh, you know, tracks, uh, just all like the origins of those sorts of techno and house culture. And so it was, it was quite an, a, a, you know, it was quite a change in all, mm-hmm. you know, but in that whole year, you know, it's like, I was like, oh, here we are having dinner, you know, in Spain with Busy P and the Justice Guys and Soul Wax. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? It was wow. so crazy, yeah. you know? And, you know, I mean, not until like I was in, I, I would have to go to Pat and go like, hey, what's the deal with these guys? You know, it's like. Oh yeah, it's Dave and Steph. They're good friends of ours. You should listen to the Night Versions record. You know, oh yeah, the records before that. They were like these, you know, uh, rock guys. But uh, Dave Sardi produced them. You know, what I mean, like then they got into electronic music. Yeah, and I started putting like, oh wow, you can be into punk rock culturally. You can be had played in rock weird weird rock bands your whole life, and still figure out a way to be a part of this. That's so funny because I feel like. And and I think Luke and I have discussed this a lot too, like because the, the like the word or like the term punk rock is so it's like just oh I know it sucks. But punk ethics, like the punk, 
is in everything. You know, it's in hip hop. It's in fucking. Absolutely. It's in like some country music. It's in whatever. But it's funny because even today on, uh, you know, like on social media, like someone was talking about Tijuana and like no one, no one's punking up to play in Tijuana anymore, huh? And I was like, actually, I'm gonna go tomorrow night and see Dave Scott Stone play. Oh, really? And awesome. he was, and yeah. he was like, fuck yeah, and he knew who you were and stuff. He's one of, you know. And I was like, and it was weird that he like made that comment. And I, and I think it's weird when people do that and, and, and complain or whatever on social media. But regardless, I, I threw your name out there thinking like this guy's gonna either just ignore me or whatever, or like not know who you were or or not think you were like punk rock. And he was like fuck yeah and like i mean i'm sure we'll be at the show tomorrow and it's that's that's just something in itself right there because i mean i'm sh- i don't know i don't know who would think like oh dave stone's playing it's gonna be punk rock you know well, yeah, you know like yeah. but it's gonna be punk like it's gonna ethically well, you know well the stuff the electronic stuff that i do feels when people write some of the bands that i've played in before it it's not gonna sound like lcd and i've met People, it's, it, it, I, I'm sure you understand this. It's, it's, it's really hard to talk about things that you've done before mm-hmm. because it'd be very misleading and all. But that's the thing is like, for me, when I, like, when I saw you perform at the, the Planet B night that we mm-hmm. had you play at, it was like, it seemed like LCD and it seemed like Melvin's. Feels, <laughs> you to know? me, it feels more Melvin's. You know, you know huh. it's like really... Because it's, it's, I want it to be like sort of one riff that goes over yeah. everything. And the thing that I like, the, the funnest thing is I start with like, uh, I write drum parts. I have a 909 and I'll write four different, because uh, you can put four different groupings of 909 things together. So I'll write four groups of 909s, like sort of like an intro, uh, sort of a main body sort of thing, something bigger and sort of a breakdown. So I have those things go and then I'll record that into Logic. I don't know if we should get into my old tech. I don't care about talking about it. Is this too nerdy and all or should I talk no. about it? This okay. whole I, podcast I, is very nerdy. I, okay. I love it. It's great. Um, yeah, because I go about a long way. I don't like writing Ableton and all this sort of stuff. I like writing on the 909. I love the way it feels. It's very intuitive. I can open up and close hi-hats and all, and I can jam with it. So it's like essentially like acoustic, I mean, not acoustic, but like you're playing the instruments. Well, my MPC, well, okay. So after I write the four different sections Uh of one bank of the 909, because I don't get too further from that, I then send that information into Logic. So I record the MIDI information from the 909 into Logic, and then... The 909 clocks are really sloppy, so I quantize it, you know? And so I get it on a grid, and then I take the MIDI information from those sections. Sometimes I'll do things like, okay, I'm going to take, uh, this goes on too long. Okay, I'm going to take out this rim shot for four bars, bring it back in four bars. Because ultimately, I want to write something with my drum beats. And this is the fantasy for anyone that programs drum machines. I want to make something with just the drums. If there's no other instruments, it would take you on a journey, you know? And with the 909, you got 10 sounds to do that in. But I want... And so after I do that, I'll listen to just the drums of the 909, you know, over to see if it actually... If I want to change it. So I make the arrangements after listening to it. And then I start, so and then I put it into the MPC, MPC 1000, and then I clock it to the 909. So I send the MIDI information that's originally origined, or originally it's from the 909, put in the logic, 
tighten up everything because when things are sloppy, it gets people the less hypnotic about things. But I like a solid kick that just like, you know, very mechanical. I mean, I put some, I play with swing settings and like on like hi hats or I, you know, but I don't get too complicated. I get all breakbeat Derek Basic, who's a genius, huh. Apex Twin and stuff like that on it. Um, and then I put some the 909. So I get it back in the real world coming out of the 909. And then I run my modular to kind of create other things. I'll play like a modular line on the MPC pads because I want to play it there and not on a keyboard. I want to have a very MPC sort of feel. And sometimes it's very like repetitive and all. But that's... And then I'll record sub bass from the 909, usually a self-oscillating filter that's pitched and all. So the sub bass is actually coming... The whole thing is my live set is... All the sounds are generated from the uh, modular or the 909. That's it. Uh, I don't like design something in massive and throw it in there and all. Um, I have used some uh, CR78 sorts of sounds before because I just love the CR78. But, or I've used some sort of blocks and all, but you know, all the synth stuff's all from the modular, even if it's not. If you saw how I do it, you would probably want to bang your head against the wall. <laughs> There's something about doing things the long way. That, I do it all the long way. Yeah, yeah, because you get but into detail of that, more, you know? Like it's, it, my tracks look crazy. It's, it's Well, that's funny how, you, how you're picturing it, or you're, how you're painting it, because when I come in here and we're working on Planet B stuff... There's a there's like just an ass load of tracks and I'm like what in the fuck and then he'll like isolate something and I'm like dude what is that that sound is so cool and in the mix you don't hear it and I'm like you got to get rid of something because that that's the jam you know or like something yeah, that you yeah. would never even know existed I build 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 and then like the construction of the song is actually deconstructing the song yeah yeah and that's where it's at because I hear just so much and then. Writing the song is just taking, it's like peeling it, and then you're like, oh, here's the song, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what the that's where the freedom and detail of electronic music mm -hmm. is, and all, you know. And like, at some point, you know, in Los Angeles, for me, coming back from tours, you know, it's like, and trying to play with different people at this stage in my life, and all, I'm either gonna be playing with, um, you know people that are kind of doing it for the first time because that's more like the energy of pe the personality mm. that I like but trying to like put a band together and getting a bunch of people to practice all at the same time you know I mean oh, yeah. all the all that stuff like it's really you know it it it's hard to do and it asks a lot of a lot of other people you know huh. Um, so that's why, you know, being self-contained, you know. So you're just only playing with by yourself now? Yeah. Well, I mean, if someone asked me to play with them, like, there's this, my friend, I recently, have like, I didn't know this whole world of, like, Giant Drag and the Icarus line. Uh, uh, we actually, I've met the Icarus, uh, the, Joe from the Icarus yeah. line now. And, but I never saw that band uh -huh. in the day. I know that you, you're in that documentary or something like that. Oh, yeah. Retox played in it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I, you know, it's like, I need retox and yeah. all the bands that yeah. you did. But I didn't know that band at all. And I also didn't know Giant Drag. 
everyone I know, and they're very popular bands. I uh-huh. totally get that. But um, there was a lot of Icarus beef with with uh, our community, <coughs> our, our world, because I've... they like stole one of Joey's synthesizers. What? Yeah, from Lashock. And they got he Joe got his ass handed to him. Well, I have no idea. But about I think the... it's but it was someone else in the band. It wasn't Joe, but I don't think it was Joe. But I I like Joe and. I mean, I think it was fucked, and the kid got. I mean, the, like um, Todd beat him up. It was some show. I think Lashock played, and the Locust played, and I feel like I don't know what it. Anyhow, Icarus Line played, and and at the time Lashock, whoever was playing, I don't, I don't know if it was Daryl or or Kundo, someone was playing synth, and it was they were using Joey's um, one of his synthesizers. Probably the Juno sixty. Maybe. Nerd talk. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It was. Uh, but I think I don't know if it was that even. I don't. Know, I don't know because I think the locust was still using that. Regardless, wow. though, like the synth went missing, and so everyone's like, "Where the fuck is it?" You know, looking around, and like they that Icarus line came. It was in glass. It was at the glass house. It, um, Icarus line came to the show in a in a station wagon, and they packed all their gear in. And there's windows, and there and so Todd's like, "What's that?" synthesizer in your in the window of your car and you don't have a keyboard player and they just fucking got his ass beat wow i had no idea and that like again i'm very removed from that scene i i met joe actually a handful of times i really like joe and i've known him since like he was in the kinker sores and uh, whatever band was before like back when he was like in a ska band you know like i mean he's a cool dude yeah well annie and him used to go out and stuff like that and i i i don't know i mean uh Annie, Annie and I have a mutual friend, our friend Caitlin, and like, I guess I met Annie about ten months ago, and out of the blue, she was like, "Hey, you play synth, right?" And she's like, "Hey, I'm doing this. My old band, Giant Drag, is doing a reunion show. What would you think about? Would you play synth bass oh. with us?" And I was like, and I didn't realize I knew about uh, like as many songs that I did, I'd heard them and stuff uh-huh. like that. And I not played in the band in a long time and, um, or t- in a band I'd been doing shows. Like, I think I probably played like acid varsity, maybe the week before I did that, uh-huh. which is in San Diego. And so I've never played synthesizer, like that sort of piano yeah. synthesizer in a band ever before. Whoa. I had no experience with that. All my synth playing is like, like modular modular yeah, yeah. i mean there's a few lcd songs where i went over and played like a section on one of their songs because there's so many parts and layers and we are all multi-instrumentalists but so annie asked me to play and i said sure why not you yeah. know headlining echo park rising one uh, night yeah. at the echoplex and so we practiced for like three days and, and that was the whole thing the person that they were going to do things with bailed or something ha- didn't happen uh-huh. with them so she needed some find someone that day yeah. or that week so we practiced um a couple of i think it was three or four practices and it's you know again i didn't feel like i had the confidence i thought it'd be a little bit too ivory tickling uh-huh. you know <laughs> and it really wasn't at all uh-huh. and i brought my sh101 and my moog taurus oh yeah and it was fun yeah. you know i mean she's she's well, quite yeah, a character taurus. and uh-huh. She's a friend and she's a si- little sister to me, you know, I, um, and it, you know, it went fine, but you know, so occasionally like when something weird comes up, you know, I would, it would be fun to do something that 
feels right. I'm not against playing in bands, uh-huh. but until then, I take up what's in front of me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I was jamming this project with the bass player Duran Duran over the fall wow. before he got busy with Duran Duran. Wow. And that guy, and with Paul Behan, who you know from mm-hmm. down here, yeah. who brought us together to work on a soundtrack. What was and, Paul playing? Paul was playing drums. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was Damn, a drummer. I forgot my, about that. And Paul hooked us up because John needed to record a soundtrack someplace. And I shot a little video of my... I'm giving a monologue. Yeah. I That's saw a, a snippet on, on your social media, the, 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 the soundtrack that you did, right? Yeah. And yeah. we did a little... No- awesome. Well, I got hired just to be the engineer. Mm. And then John asked me to contribute some things. And I brought broke out after eight years in the harsh noise instruments i was getting my little feedback box yeah. that controlled feedback box and contact mics and john you know great dude i mean there's people that play brick by brick uh-huh. in front of 10 people that have more of a rock star attitude than that dude oh yeah you know yeah. i mean that dude is he's an amazing amazing human being wow you know and uh, from duran duran yeah i yeah, mean he's an amazing bass player he's not a ha- like he's like, I remember I would do some recording, and this is all fun stuff, you know. It's probably not going to exist in the world and all, but maybe it'll at some point and all. But um, I'm sitting there, and he's doing this amazing sort of bass line, and it's, it's, I mean, that's sort of fun, you know yeah. what I mean? And it it's, uh-huh. a, you know, I'm up for, like, sort of interesting projects that kind of, like, challenge me to do things that I don't do and you know get me to be less me you know what sure. i mean or expand into this sort of new but thing. maybe less you is actually you you know what i'm saying right, like right. like well, you're every exploring. whatever yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um i think you have a pretty eclectic i know you don't want to say like resume but it is an eclectic resume it's because ultimately what comes down to it <clears throat> i love music you know just love music and i'm really um I've, you know, I don't know. If but do you, you hate music too? I mean, because I've, I've quit so many times. Hate, no, I mean, I hate certain music. I'm like, oh, I hate this shit because it well, sounds like it sounds junky or crap or like weak or like lazy or something. Well, you know, when you start recording stuff, you start hearing music, you start listening to things that, you know, you can remove yourself from the aesthetic or the content and just hear like the quality of it. Like, I don't like Steely Dan, but every, you know, Steely Dan, Aja is like one of those records if you record music, you have to listen to. Uh-huh. So I listen to it and I can't stand those songs, but. Um, but I think like sincerity is something that's, that, that I, that I, I can, I can hear like something in a, in a, in a song and it doesn't seem sincere. Therefore, like, I hate that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can definitely feel like. I hate, me- like, I hate messages in music more if i don't relate to it like the, the, i can appreciate sounds and movement of music but a lot of times like with reggae music the bass line i i can get with even mm-hmm. a lot of the drums i can get with but when they start singing and what they're talking about even like it's I mean it's a, you're talking about the like religious fraud. aspects it, it, yeah that too I do hate it's reggae music like, actually I'm like oh why do you start why did you start singing I love like instrumental music yeah, yeah. or like minimal thing unless you're if you're not like 
talking about something. But maybe there's innovative re- reggae music, right? Because, I mean, to me, I feel like reggae music's based on one sort of chord progression. It's like one, one thing. Like, there's one reggae song to me. But maybe, right. like, that's... I mean, my mom says that about everything I play. It all sounds the same, you know? It's like, okay, I get it. I, so maybe I just sound like my mom when it comes to reggae music. If reggae had just the drums and bass, I would interpret the skank and the keys and the modern reggae now. It's like, the, but the, I love the... Don't love. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> but the bass and the uh the drums a lot of the drums not the older drums are so good or like the old jamaican recordings mm-hmm. they didn't have like a lot of that like king tubby i was gonna say i, the, I could listen uh, to king tubby the sound all system the, i know part I know. of it is so it's... great but then they start singing and i'm like oh, oh yeah. well, but maybe it's like uh the congos i like the congos <laughs> singing and stuff like that but Culturally, that was the whole thing. Justin Trosper turned me on to that. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, you should really take a listen to this. And, you know, we, sometimes if you trust your, like, you have people to curate, like, the better parts of it uh-huh. for you. Sure. You, oh, I like everything else this guy does and what he creates, but he likes this thing that's removed, or this person is completely removed from this store of stuff. I can't stand. There must, there's good stuff within everything. everything. Yeah. It's it's having a guide to bring you sure, into it that yeah. knows where you're coming from. Like I have a friend that currently that I'm because I also like I try and help people learn how to record stuff and mix things. So I have a friend. He came from the sort of like he was on the sub pop band in the 90s and he's now like a, a production <laughs> designer. He's getting back into music. He's got some nice he's got some nice pieces of gear because he could get good stuff. And um uh, he's he's like oh teach me about house and techno like what should I listen to and it's like I like where you're coming from I like what you do personally with your music and this way I can kind of help guide him into it's like oh okay this is what acid house is about you know what I mean it's you know he's like but so repetitive it doesn't go anywhere yeah <laughs> i'm like well okay you have to understand this is for like being on a dance floor yeah. you know you're a little buzzed you've been dancing for hours and this comes on and these sorts of sounds the squi- uh the you know a distorted tv 303 yeah. line it gets it's actually really exciting it can be it's the it, timbre of a certain sound that yes, can uh, create yeah. some effect yeah. and so if you've been writing like sort of like cold war uh gothy sort of rock stuff in the 90s like it's really really hard thing to get into mm-hmm. like for me the my I, I don't listen to a lot of reggae but I, the way i my contempt that i once had for it changed over time and all you know there's a lot of like uh cheesy reggae as there is like a lot of cheesy metal or sure yeah, you know yeah. what i mean i mean when people say reggae they think of bob marley and it's just like yeah, right, the guy's right. a homophobic womanizer dick yeah. But yeah, could you be loved? Has some of the most badass mm-hmm. like dun, 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 like that. What's what's it? The qual? What's that? Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The rhythm say, track to that yeah. is so uh, totally like Bob Marley is the same thing with the lyrics and all that. But when you hear his rhythm section, fuck yeah. Is, yeah. So that's what you meant by the message. Like, that's the part you hate. Yeah. No, it's like I know. Because you can sing like reggae. No Woman, No Cry because exactly. you're a womanizer and you beat your wife exactly. and you have like, like a bunch of illegitimate children. Like this big loving thing. And then a lot of 
like so you're yeah but you're so like you're curating uh electronic music to the the your friend who was on sub pop is sort of like um you know I don't know, like someone curating, uh, who'd you reference before? Cur oh, tell oh, like Justin telling you to like, listen to this kind of reggae, yeah, like yeah, sound well, the same thing. Cause they asked the right person. Because if, if your friend asked the guy oh, and, and that I, that I worked for, like yeah, yeah. what's good music, he's huh. going to just go listen to like, you know, third rate Britney yeah, remixes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really like, you know, finding someone that if you, if you don't like something, probably like the, go look into it further. Find someone that you trust that knows about it. You totally. know, mm -hmm. then you, that if you like, if if you want to spend your time on the planet yeah. doing that, <laughs> you know, yeah. which is all limited, but I you totally know, agree. being then you can get that one little aspect of it and then open it up. The same thing, like with me with reggae, I hated mm. every little aspect of it. But like Matt was like, listen to I like if it wasn't for dub and like yeah. them making dubs, I was or like the King Tubby whole aspect of it. Like I Fisher Space Expander. The reverb. Yep. Totally. <laughs> Nerd totally. talk. But going back totally. to like, cause you just, he just referenced his partner who at the studio, Matt, who's like in, uh, I mean, he's in a, he's into reggae, mm -hmm. but like, he's a punk, mm -hmm. you know, totally. like he's, I mean, shit. And totally. even like, even like he was in a hip hop band in like the late nineties that three, one G was going to put out, you know I mean? It's like, oh, uh, yeah. I, I, like that's that in itself is, is pretty weird or whatever, you know? Like, yeah. so, I mean, I think that, um, it's where you're, I guess it's where you're getting your, um, I don't know, whoever's helping you it's like in, you in the said, right point you in the direction. You have someone you trust introduce you to something you hate maybe. And that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's something kind of beautiful about like you having a, it's almost a spiritual shift in something. If you can come to like see something good in something that you had contempt for, I think in general, the world would be a better place with those sorts of principles, you know, yeah. like, it's like, how do you have compassion for someone that is completely against sure. <laughs> like everything you're about and like, okay, you have to take some understanding of what their life experience was yeah. to get into this place, you know? We're not getting into politics. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's really... Um, I didn't know that about Bob Marley. What a bummer. It seems so non-Aquarius, too. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, also, too, like, I mean, Rastafarians are homophobic, and you're like, that's yeah, kind yeah. of a bummer. And, no, you know, no, like, uh, you... Chichi Man, that's, like, homosexual Chichi Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like... Or like if you're a Rasta, you can't, um, your wife can't sleep in the same bed as you if she's menstruating and she can't cook your food for you if she's menstruating. Oh, it's, it's like fundamentalist <laughs> stuff. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, that's, but yeah, I guess so. Well, I'm not, you know, it's like, hey, those people, they, they, they have to live with the, their circumstances, what yeah. they're choosing to yeah. do. Yeah, you know? sure. Like, well, um, I mean, maybe, maybe if you're born into it culturally, it's, it's just, it's what happens it's hard to break out you yeah. know it's like my best one of my best friends growing up his family was really involved in the mormon church and his dad actually became a very conservative senator when he graduated i mean they're big you know and like he's actually made some steps and he's spoken out against you know he's married with like eight kids uh -huh. you know but he doesn't like, like he does <laughs> not like you know he's but he's spoken out about it the Mormon church not letting gay people 
maybe practice in uh, there? They, well in, in the late 70s it, black people were the devil still yeah, so that's yeah, like yeah. that's in our lifetime <laughs> so it's slowly we would like to think that slowly generations uh-huh. get their will, shit together even if my friend is still a very devout a mormon uh-huh. you know he's like he's you know he's progressive you know but it takes a while for all dinosaurs to die out sure you know uh, yeah totally and that's why these days I thought for a long time the dinosaurs were dying out uh, and you know there's been evidently a bunch of little hatchlings uh, you know yeah uh, I, uh, I gotta go okay. it's been great we're almost on two hours on this this conversation yeah, actually, it was unnoticeable as far sorry. as being a podcast but before yeah. if you guys can continue it no, no, not can, before we uh, end this can you introduce yourself hi <laughs> Hi, my name is David Scott Stone. Been friends with Justin for 20 years. And Luke, I just met you. Uh, all right, that was the Dave Scott Stone episode, episode 12 of the Colton Culture Podcast. Thanks for listening in. I hope you all get a chance to check out our previous podcasts. You can hear them on the 31G SoundCloud profile or on iTunes under 31G's podcast. Yeah, I don't know. Check out Dave's catalog of work. It's pretty expansive. And thanks for tuning in. Later. Later.